known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. From the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of OutlawRadioLive.com, nestled in our secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area, following program is produced, more or less, by Magic Matt Allen. I'm Burl Bear. He's Mark Boyer. I be. You be, you be Alan Warren. <laughs> you don't mind yeah, being Alan Warren. Warren, do you? Well, Mark said, yeah, Mark's okay. easy. You can be anybody you want today, and he'll yeah. vote for it. A little role play here. Oh, <laughs> oh perfect. I like role play. Yeah, I did. Good. Because you can be a Kaiser. Hey, uh, you got another book yet. What do you do? Write a book a week? <laughs> no, no. I, I guess I, I gave it to the. Uh, yeah, a publisher back in March. Oh. And they put it out for Christmas, you know. Perfect Christmas story. Oh, what, what could be more entertaining on the holiday season than a guy who beats the brains out and then eats the brains? Although that may not be true. Tell us, uh, if you didn't see the uh, the promo piece that we put up on the True Crime Uncensored website, which, of course, is visited by at least three to four people a week. Uh, two of them, us. <laughs> yeah, two of us. Uh, this is really a weird story. The guy is currently, whatever his name is, Locked in the basement of some prison somewhere in a cage-like thingy <laughs> where no one could get to him and he can't get to anybody else. Am I right? Uh, pretty close. Yeah. And he doesn't have a good reputation as far as uh, playing nicely with other prisoners. No, he doesn't. Though he hasn't really done anything to gain the reputation he has, but he has it, so... Yeah, this is what bothers me. Well, I'll tell you what, tell our audience the backstory on this dude. Well, well, basically, he was he was he was a kid, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, uh, ran away from home. He was uh, selling his body for sex mm-hmm. and getting drugs and and living that kind of lifestyle on the street. He ended up killing one of the Johns. Uh, that would take him home. That he he had been uh, buying him for about ten months or a year. But you think they'd be and close by got, then? Yeah. Well, <laughs> he killed the John, and he got and he got put in uh, put in prison. Well, of and, course. Uh, First of got, all, we got to we got to uh, stop something here. We can't just call him a John. That that uh, degrades the gentleman. Uh, we don't know well, his, his name. His name was John. That is, he was his name really was John. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, his name was John Farrell. Yeah, well, that's Mr. Farrell was murdered by this guy. And what's the yeah, name Mr. of our uh, of our nut job? Yeah, what's the name of the nut job? He's a hand job, head job, uh, nut job? Robert, Robert Maudsley is the name of the nut job. All right. How much did he charge for and, his nut job? I'm afraid to ask. But he murders this guy. Uh, yeah. Was there any reason why he would murder a good customer? You go into Macy's, well, they don't kill you. Well, what 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 the kid, what Robert Maudsley said was, uh, they had been doing this for you know eight ten months, no problems, and this last time that he had picked him up and taken him home, uh, they got naked and they were in bed, and and then this John Farrell got up and pulled these pictures out of a drawer, and in these pictures was uh, pictures of kids that were being sexually. Oh. You know, they were involved in sex, and they were young kids. Oh, so that's, what, that, that's it, why I killed him. Yeah, okay. sent him over the edge, and and he killed him. And 
so when he actually went to jail, um, he was guilty of that, but they didn't find him mentally guilty. They figured he was um, uh, he was insane. They, it was the type of ruling in the UK. So they ended up putting him in a mental hospital for um, criminals. Broadmoor. So that's how it all started. Was that Broadmoor? Broadmoor, yes. So he got put in Broadmoor, and that is how it how it all kind of started. And, and you know, just to, just to talk, um, you know, from from a little kid up until when he walked away from home, he was placed in uh, three different foster homes, and he claimed that he was abused by two of the different foster homes, as well as his father. And he used to claim that his father would come in the room and and stick things up his bum. You know, for everything from egg beaters, um, to, yeah, egg beaters, handles, like whatever is available, and plus he raped him. So his defense, when he was up for trial for the very first John Farrell, uh, the the lawyers decided that uh, he had been abused so many years that when he saw the abuse, he lost control, and so he wasn't uh, mentally fit. To stand trial for for a criminal, so they put him in Broadmoor Hospital. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Well, sure. So he's in Broadmoor Hospital, living it up, laughing it up, uh, having a chicken race on water skis, whatever it is they do at that hospital. So what happens then? Why? What does, do things get worse for this guy? Well, you know, I. I I think he sort of made a mistake, and some of the letters that we had got from him and the way he talked about uh, what his intention was, um, he he ended up killing um, uh, someone else uh, in the hospital, and 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 the reason he he said he killed was he was he was out going after pedophiles, he yeah. was out going after child molester killers, and uh, so he had a particular. Um, person he was looking for, and so it wasn't necessarily about the personality or about uh, um, if they liked the guy or not or any of that stuff. He was to, I think, punish um, pe- pedophiles. That was that was the bottom line. Uh, I wanted to ask some questions about the, this particular incident. So he has uh, this person that he is going to kill. How long does it take before before he's finished? Well, in, 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 if, if you're talking about the um, David Francis one, yeah, um, that that was something that uh, that took a very very long time. This was this was something that um, he had planned. He he wanted uh, uh, people to see and hear it, and he wanted this guy to suffer. And so um, he had planned on where he was going to do the killing and uh, and made it so that pri- uh, prison guards and nurses couldn't get into the unit where he was doing the murder. How did he do that? He, you know, he just rigged, rigged the door, ah. basically. He used a uh, uh, he used some plastic out of a spoon and and a few other items, and he made it so that it wasn't something. Uh, he, he just made it hard so that he couldn't get in. Cause he he wanted people to hear the screaming and the and the, the crying and all that sort of stuff, but he. Uh, yeah, so that's... Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I'm trying to wrap my head around nine hours of torture 
with the staff hearing and listening. And do, do they call the authorities at, or the fire department and make any attempt to break in? Uh, yeah, you know, the thing is, now that was the very first time when I got the, doc, the documents on that. I couldn't figure out, well, how could he, because he basically worked his way into an office that did have glass so that you could see him. And, and yeah, they did have um, a nine-hour event, is what they called it, of torture in Russia. And I thought, well, how can you get away with that? You're in a prison. You know, yeah. how long is it going to take for them to get you out? Not at nine hours. Um, but apparently, this type of prison, when you've got, um, uh, it's really a mental hospital, most of them are not armed, and there's only two guards that are armed at a time. And um, they, let's just say they claim they just weren't prepared right. to handle this type of incident. So, um, but uh, you, you still know, have mostly, yeah. You still huh? have a telephone. Hello, fire department. Well, this, Hello, police. Well, it may not have well, been... This is true. Yeah, for nine hours, that is a hell of a long time. But I can understand that they, it never occurred to them that anything of this nature would ever occur in the hospital. In a prison, right. in a traditional right. prison, perhaps. But these guys are all nuts, and we got them pretty much shot up on a hell doll or whatever. You know, they're all well-behaved whether they want to be or not. They just had never anticipated something this crazy in a mental hospital. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't think they did. I couldn't find mm -hmm. anything that described what the staff was doing during this nine hours. Selling popcorn. Mm -hmm. And it just it just blows my mind that they could. Well, they did. You know. Well, I think I think we're first of all we have to look. It's in the it's in the seventies. It's in a prior time. Probably not a lot of this type of activity has happened. Um, and for them, there was a lot of nurses and a very few guards, and and they probably kept on figuring they would talk them out. And and um, I'm not sure. I can't explain why they wouldn't call in the uh, armed forces or something more you know, um, aggressive. Um, they, they actually let him go till what, it was just after 8 p.m. And um, he had finally, Maudsley had finally garroted uh, this uh, Francis uh, to death. Um, so, you know, it, 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 he made a big scene of it, even at then, lifting the body up and doing all that. He wanted everybody to view the body for a few minutes. And then Maudsley was the one that let, let them in, unlocked the door and let them in. Wow. Now, if I would have been the, uh, the fellow that he murdered his family, I'd have sued the, uh, the hospital for massive bucks. Oh, yeah. Anybody want to ever Yeah, but, you know, that was, that was always a really strange, strange part of this story. Um, and I couldn't get an answer from anybody that I talked to that sounded logical to me as why and how he could have got away with that for so many hours. Very peculiar. Uh, yeah, it just, I'm, I'm still at a loss. But, yeah. Well, let's um, move on. He certainly did it, and uh, shall we say got away with it. What are they going to do, put him in a mental hospital? He's already there. Yeah, well... <laughs> But, but that, that kind of leads to the next problem. 
um, because he was really, really enjoying his life in this. Obviously, he's celebrating here. He's murdering this poor guy and torturing him for nine hours. Uh, yeah, but he loved it. Um, I think it was the first time he had structure. He had meals. He had a bed. And and he could sort of focus on what he wanted to do, which was to um, kill pedophiles. So uh, life is good. Yeah, I mean, he had everything he wanted, even the entertainment factor. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Boy, am I glad I'm nuts. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you're... Well, but unfortunately... What happened with this is they actually um, charged him with murder and murder in prison. And, um, you know, so, so they, they actually tried him as, as a sane person, even though he's in an insane asylum. Well, and wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. How the hell could they get away with that? All his attorney has to do well, is say, excuse me, didn't this happen in a, in a mental hospital? Yeah, well, that's why he never never feared uh, doing it because he's insane. He's killed someone in an inside him, but they actually charged him with murder and convicted him of it, and moved him to Wakefield Prison. Uh, took him out of the Broadmoor Hospital. So he totally got upset about that. Was was really really combination of depressed and angry. Yeah, that makes sense. So they put him yeah. in a general population of a regular prison. Um, yeah, actually, at first, at first they did, but they had to be cautious because yeah. um, he, he did have a little bit of a reputation. Yeah, I would imagine um, <laughs> his reputation preceded you know. him. Nine hours of torture—that's yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, plus, he probably has easier access to uh, convicted uh, pedophiles. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but people were. Um, definitely aware of his presence, and they had caution with him. But Wakefield, you've got to also understand, Wakefield is like their AAA, um, as far as prisons, the, worst of the murderers of the murderers, it's the worst of the worst. Or the best of the you best, know? depending on how you define it. Depending on you. And all celebrity killers, anybody that's got any sort of notoriety, um, ends up in that Wakefield. So, so like if you won the Golden in, Globes and the Oscar and murder somebody, that's where they send you. Yeah, it's kind of like they're one person. Like they have all the, like the Ian Brady, uh, the, all the uh, Charles Bronson. They had all these people that have, uh, were famous for what they had done. That would be like uh, the U.S. having one one place to send everybody, like Charles Manson and Gacy, and, and just all yeah. they all went to one spot. Mm-hmm. That's what this was. The, the super famous prison. Well, we had yeah. one of those on an island in San Francisco. Yeah, it's a tourist trap now. <laughs> yeah, now it's just for tourists. <laughs> yeah, they lock them up. And yeah, sure, actually. Okay, so then what well, so, so, so he got put in prison. So now he's in prison, and he's pretty upset about it. And... Um, and uh, he didn't know what to do about it. So um, for some reason, he, he conjured up a theme, an idea that if he killed someone in prison, he might be able to get put back into the mental institute hmm. place. That way, if, so this, this is sort of something he, he, he was um, framing and working out in his mind. This has got to happen. So he started, started making a plan. And so he did. And so on, on one day, he decided to uh, 
um, do a couple more killings. And that's what he did. Dude, so, how'd, um, how'd that work out for him? Not very well. <laughs> Didn't so the best well. laid plans of mentally ill murderers often go astray. Well, yeah. he stuffed the first victim under his cot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, he was, he was actually looking around for someone and couldn't find anybody, and and he would go out and now I think the first one he found out in the general population and talked him into coming back to the room, uh, his cell, and and it was probably to sell him drugs or something like that, right? Or and uh, when he got him there, he beat him and choked him and killed him, and then he threw him under his cell and uh, left him, you know, wiped his hands and then went out for, for more work. Um, he, he tried getting quite a few people to come to his cell, but I think there was some sort of story about him um, going out amongst the population that he was, uh, he was looking to kill people. Um, but in his mind, he wanted to get pedophiles. The guy that was laying under his bed dead was another convicted child killer. And pedophile, and so um, if you were if you didn't fall into that category, I don't think you had anything to worry about. Uh-huh. If you did so, fall so in that see, now, you did have something. Well, in, and at this point, at this point in his mind too, he thought, well, um, until they catch him, he's going to kill as many of these pedophiles as he can. He's going to do everyone a favor. Mm-hmm. So he's out in the hunt getting pedophiles, killing them until they catch them. That was kind of his original thought. Wasn't there an ulterior motive here attached to this? Well, he thought for sure that if he did this big slaughter and all of this, that he would be put back into um, uh, Broadsmore. He thought for sure it would get him back into the the mental hospital. and um, so, so the big thing, get him back to Broadsmoor Hospital, kill a few pedophiles on the way, and he's doing a good job. So this is kind of running through his mind in general. Well, for a crazy guy, he thinks semi-rationally. He could have been one of my program directors. <laughs> he, probably, he probably would have done a good job. Yeah, probably. See that wheel up there? Okay. Well, he was intellectually intelligent, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Well, the, he was not. He never did get schooled. He was. Uh, he had a few years in ele- ele- elementary age. Um, he was really on the streets by twelve, thirteen, and never really had any um, schooling that way. But he's very well read and um, very well versed in things. He, he, he takes a lot of time, studies, reads. He's not like what they have Hannibal the Cannibal on the movie where he's, you know, that well educated. But he's definitely above average. And, and in a lot, of the, a, lot, a lot of the book and a lot of the idea of the book was, um, in the last chapters, was to talk about how he interacted with the other prisoners and how he could manipulate people so well. And he knew what, what buttons to push and what bells to ring. He could read people very well. So, that, so he was very clever in that aspect. So have we come back to the old uh, saying that as the twig is bent, so grows the tree. If he would have had, shall we say, a pleasant upbringing, 
a loving family and a nurturing environment. He could have been uh, a different kind of criminal. <laughs> he could have been prime minister. Could have, could, have, could have been Boris Johnson. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's where I was going with that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, but, when you look at him, he was a pretty mild, meek guy. He was not. He's not big and and obtru- he he was just an, an average to thin guy, not very tall and not very um, built. Like you would not look at him like if anything um, secondarily. You wouldn't even. You know what I mean? He just didn't have that. But he had enough of a reputation built, and he had a good way with his mind that he put himself in a much stronger place because of it. Right. Well, I got to say, because some of these um, other prisoners could have been buff, you know, a lot of guys spend a lot of time working out in the joint, you know. Oh, they could have spit, and he would have fell over. (laughs) And that's the truth. That's the truth of it. And and the thing is, when when he killed these two people, he actually got convicted of it again, right? Um, they put him in uh, downstairs in Wakefield. What they do is in the basement. They, when you see that movie um, Hannibal, the, the you know the Hannibal the Cannibal, uh, Silence that, of the Lambs. There, Silence of the Lamb. There's one of those uh, kind of prison one 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 cell. In actuality, there's two down there. They're side by side. So there's there's a death row, and at the end of the death row is the is the basement room with the two cells, and they're exactly almost identical to what you see on that, in but the there's two of them. So he's always in there beside someone else, who is always considered the worst of the worst at the time. So he's been beside some of the um, most freaky um, killers of killers um, over the years. You'd think he'd be awful bored sitting in there. Yeah, you would think so, but apparently he reads He reads unless he has someone that's interesting to him, like a, a particular killer. And most of them don't interest him, but he's, he's actually, uh, um, if anything, he's actually scared some of these Category A um, murderers. You know, um, they nickname it the, the Prison Monster Mansion, right? And they call him the host. Yeah. And that's why I kind of put hosting the monster. And, um, you know, you've got uh, the worst of the worst convicted sex offender killers, high risk, high profile people there. He, I, you know, like I said, he's had uh, every major, you know, Charles Bronson Salvador was beside him. In fact, they, they would fight. How can they um, argue or fight? I mean, they, can't. they would argue, but uh, um, and they would cause trouble for each other. Well, that gives him something to do. I mean, you think that someone with his mental capacity—if he, you know, if he's read all the books in his uh, cell—he's got to do something to keep his mind active. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, he did, did he ask for permission to like get out and play board games with the guards or something? Yeah, that's, he, he, he kind of took over that part. He wanted to, um, and he had a little group, and there's a following, and I believe they're still online. They were last year when I was doing this, and you can join them. And they're, oh, no, they're, they, want, uh, well, they want prisoners to uh, play music. They want them to be able to watch TV, read books, um, go outside, um, like lots of activities are on this. Um, and, um, well, you think that you the, know, the isolation the, uh, would make him even nuttier than he already is. 
mean, the guy's got deep-rooted problems for sure. Uh, yeah. Well, he's. I. You know, for me, I, you know, the letters we have, which is in the last, the last chapter. I have letters. He. Um, he seems very smart, very together, and he's very compartmentalized. So he has divided um, who he was and is as a as a killer and who he is now. Yeah. So he will talk about his event in third person. Mm-hmm. So you want to talk about, you know, you want to talk about Robert. You don't want to talk about him now. He separates them. That's not uncommon so, at all uh, for serial yeah. killers or, or murderers to compartmentalize like that. Uh, Ted Bundy did that. Uh, I think maybe you know the story, but I had uh, lunch with uh, Ann Rule one day, and she was telling me about uh, she took Ted Bundy to a dance, and uh, there was a girl there that was uh, rather attractive, and she kept saying, Ted... Well, you should ask her to dance. Go ahead. You know, she's just your style. <laughs> Unfortunately, the style was exactly the same as the women he had murdered. And so uh, his compartments were uh, bumping into each other. Here he is in one compartment, which is the compassionate fellow who works on the suicide prevention line with Anne. And the other is Ted Bundy, the murderer. And she's going, Ted, talk to her. Ted, ask her to dance. And Ted just freaks out and proceeds to get terribly drunk. And Anna has to take him home and put him to bed. She can't figure out what his problem is. You know, why he was so upset that she wanted him to, to meet this girl. Well, that's because if he met her, he'd probably kill her. And uh, that's when, the, when worlds collide. And uh, this is very common. You know, as, as Burl Barrett once said, if it weren't for having a double life, I'd have no life at all. <laughs> yeah. Is he still around? Who, Burl Bear? Yeah, he is. He's, well, he's, he's imaginary. <laughs> the imaginary Burl Bear. Okay. I'm right here. Well, I, I imagine. I <laughs> Although there was this kid yeah, who was really disappointed to meet me, as many are. Uh, he imagined that I was a cartoon. And when he found out I wasn't a cartoon, he was very upset. Yeah, well, our our producer uh, of the show is is upset he met you. <laughs> He's upset he met me too. Yeah, it's a universal condition. They all end up in a nut house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. At the moment, I'm just in denial and in deep depression, <laughs> but I'll get there. Yeah, he's working his way. <laughs> just That's, keep drinking. Yeah, just think of radio as as being a metaphor for that cage that they put him in. Wow. <laughs> all of us are damaged in shipping and handling. Some just more so than others. So for for the hour a day that he's out he's out of his cell, what is there for him to do? Kill people. Well, <laughs> no. well, in this particular, he can just go outside to to the uh, there's that uh, little square play play area, but he's not allowed to talk to anybody else, and he's not allowed to be around with anybody. So he has no no communication. His only communication is with um, death row. Alley where they can kind of scream, and with whoever's in the opposing cell. Um, um, wow, Just a, and that's about it. A quick, a quick question on um, England does not have a death penalty, do they? No, they took it away. Um, geez, I'm trying to remember long when time, it was, but they took time. it away. Yeah, yeah it's like so, the 60s so, or 70s. So essentially, this death row you're talking about is life in prison with no parole. Exactly. Yeah, okay. 
It's, 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 it was set up before. It's a part of the, it was called death row because that's where they used to, you know, kill them. And, and so now the room where they kill them is where these two prisoners have this cell and uh, there's other cells along and they're, they're just kind of used as the worst of the worst. Hmm. Uh, I wanted to ask the two of you, um, stepping away from the case specifically, uh, li- um, solitary confinement of this kind. This is he has set uh, a record for being in solitary confinement the longest of any person. Well, in right. the UK or in the world? In the world. Yeah. Well, as as uh, as we know, um, and I'm wondering uh, what your thoughts are on. Uh, on this kind of punishment versus uh, just simply um, uh, death penalty. <laughs> I mean, is, is is this kind of punishment humane? To who? To, to him? Just in general. <laughs> Alan, what's your feeling on that? Well, you know... Um, I think there's I think there's too many holes in in that in the system because if you've got um if we as a society have decided we're not going to kill these people okay so no death penalty so you've got them um what level like where do you draw the line between um enjoyment of living and surviving and I mean that from um, so you take a criminal that murdered six people, and he he gets to live in this prison. Um, how much can we give him? Uh, which because you've got the families of those murder victims right. that don't want him to be watching TV and and going to dances and playing games uh, because they've lost family members in quite a few in brutal ways. The last thing they want is that. And then you've got the others on the other side. You know, so it's, it's where do you draw the line? Because then does that mean put them in a room like, for instance, this guy, um, where he gets an hour a day out and that's it? Um, you know, I, I'm, sort of, I'm, sort of, I'm sort of in the mix. I, I think we should have a level of death penalty um, exclusively for people like this. Yeah, this is the, well, the standard in America is you have to be the worst of the worst, but the worst of the worst don't get the death penalty. So anybody below that argues, I'm not as bad as this guy, and he's still alive. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 it's, it's kind of mixed up. It's all over the place, and and I really don't know. I I, I think they could probably be a little bit better than they are in this particular prison um, but I really don't want to see them having a lot of luxuries in their lives um, because they've done some heinous things things that are just outrageous you know and it's well, not that, like it, we're going to fix them <laughs> no you're not going to yeah. fix them and then the question is are they in prison for the safety of everyone else to isolate them from killing other people or is it there for some sort of vindiction or revenge or purely to punish them uh, and to increase the punishment? Uh, therein lies the question. I'm all in favor of separating these people from anyone else so they don't kill them. And he just wants to kill pedophiles. Or shall we say, as it's not polite to say he wants to kill pedophiles. He wants to kill pedophiles who acted on their pedophilia 
uh, in, in unpleasant ways. Because there are one of the problems with being a pedophile, based on my research of this topic, uh-huh. is that the vast majority of pedophiles never do anything wrong. It stays in the world of fantasy. And you don't come and arrest people for what they're thinking in their spare time. Uh, it has to do with what they actually do. And the majority of pedophiles never do anything bad. Except those that do, do really bad things. So uh, and that's just one reason why people who do have pedophilia don't go to a psychiatrist or whatever and get any help for it because they're afraid to say that they have those thoughts. So it's a, it's a real rough situation. He's, yeah. He has requested uh, uh, that he be allowed to commit suicide. His requests have been denied. Well, yeah, they, they don't go for that. You know. Yeah, that's... It's, it's, just, against, uh, it's against the prison rules, I'm sure. <laughs> um, it's going to be a tough one in that in that case. Uh, in, in his particular case, do you want him to be punished? And, and you, you know, we definitely want to keep him out of society. But how much do we consider punishment uh, in his... In his uh, Ruling. I mean, that last, I mean, the way he killed people, like the last person he killed before he got uh, when, uh, put, put down into this final cell, you know, he, um, I put the description in there about how he was beating the head so hard uh, against the wall and everything that all the stucco and everything was flying off the, the walls and the roofs and the floor and the, the bone parts and all this stuff and then he crunched the head open uh, on the cement and then he put the spoon in in, in the brain is that a true story you know. did he really eat the guy's brain or is that an example well no well the, the, no the, what he did is all true and you know breaking open the head and, and cracking it and, and putting the spoon in but in his mind he wanted people to think that happened um because he thought he would be put in the nut house. Yeah. Um, and there, there was a guard that told the story about him eating it, and there was a lot of lies and rumors that all came out of that. And and when you come right down to it, and you read the letter that he wrote to us, he he uh, said he never actually ate or ever intended on eating any brain, um, but witnesses said that he did. So and, we don't uh, we don't uh, know what the truth. Now, did you correspond with this guy? Did you write him like you know little fan letters and stuff? Yeah, I sent him nudes and everything. <laughs> that was awfully sweet of you. Well, you know, I I do what I can, <laughs> whatever it takes to get the story. You know, mm-hmm. um, no, yeah, we. I have someone that does the communicating for me. I have a an ex prisoner out of Wakefield that I use and. Um, and when I want to contact prisoners, he knows how to do it. And then we go from there. Then I can communicate with them. I'm interesting. We didn't go yeah, over there and talk to him, though. No, uh, none of the none of the British ones I wrote. I I wasn't interested in because I I've, I've had too many. I've had to meet here. I've been doing ones here and meeting people in prison in Canada and the U.S. and and all that stuff. So I I you know. Yeah. I've got enough going on. In uh, my true crime writing career, I only went to uh, see one murderer in prison. That was Rhonda Glover. It was creepy enough, even with the plexiglass between us. It was still unnerving. 
So um, did you get did you get to uh, um, record when you were in there or not? No, it's really weird. I had to go yeah. in as a uh, not as a media person, but simply as a visitor. It's very strange. Uh, in Texas, they got some weird rules. If uh, if you're doing a TV show, you can get an interview with the prisoner. If you're doing a radio show, which I, of course, doing right now, <clears throat> I could do it. But if I'm an author writing an in-depth, <laughs> year-long research into the case, <laughs> I can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I find that a lot, but, I, I mean, I just visited someone in uh, in a prison, and it was the same way. You couldn't record anything. But if you were if you were doing a five minute sound bite, they would have let you if you had a TV show. Yeah, that's yeah. really weird. If I was Dateline NBC, yeah, or yeah, uh, yeah forty eight hours. They say, "Oh, sure, come on in, bring your cameras." You say, "I'm devoting a yeah. year to intensive research on this crime," and <laughs> no, 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 no. We just want the people doing sound bites. Sorry. Oh, and if you're doing a blog, you can do it. But not if you're an author. <laughs> I haven't figured yeah, out yeah. how yet. Yeah. None of that stuff, yeah. That's like no, uh, Kansas. Uh, i got to warn you right now, if you go to do a book about a case in Kansas and you want the police records, all they give you is the cover sheet. <laughs> the That's it. Anything else is, enti- is entirely up to the police chief whether he wants to cooperate with you or not. Otherwise, you pay your money under Freedom of Information Act, and you get the cover sheet. That's it. That's why, I, I, that's why I did not finish the book about the case in Kansas. Yeah, Canada and England are, are tough, too. you got to go through a process, and then when you get approved, and then you got to go find the records you want, and then you got to get approved again. So it's uh, they're a little bit... But, you know, it's funny. I just visited a guy in a Canadian prison that murdered seven people. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was no plastic or glass or anything between us. Well, he could have murdered you. Well, he could have. Thankfully, he, he didn't. Or we'd have to sit here and BS for an hour without you. Yeah, or you <laughs> well, could talk about how, how, how I got killed. Yeah. <laughs> talk about how I got killed. Yeah. Our guest today... It's no, it's no longer yeah. living. Our guest today, posthumously. <laughs> yes, we'll have yeah. our, We'll do the interview through a Ouija board and a, a trans medium. Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah, get the one with the Long Island. That's who I want. Oh, you want the Long Island killer? Yeah, Long Island medium. Oh yeah, <laughs> that would be entertaining. Although it's uh, well, you know, it's. it's <laughs> But it's interesting, yeah. So these, the, you know, the English killers are quite, quite, quite graphic and 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 different. But for some reason, Mo- this Maudsley scared a lot of people. Like you know, uh, Peter Sutcliffe, who was the Yorkshire Ripper, and uh, some some of the biggest killers are terrified of him. Yeah, I don't think Sutcliffe. I think he was a copycat. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I, I wrote about that one for uh, whatever the hell that magazine is that Lee oh. Miller had. Oh, the um, uh, Quarterly? Yeah. Yeah, Serial Killer Quarterly. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> magazine. It's not around anymore, but boy, he did a fantastic job on that one, really. Oh, that was that... Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, Lee Miller. Lee yeah. Miller, Lee Miller yeah. was the editor on that. Did a fabulous job. That was a gorgeous-looking magazine, uh, and he did wonderful editing work on it. 
Uh, I didn't know what it was going to be like when I did my first article for them. And boy, was I impressed. And then I was very depressed when the magazine uh, folded, which was too bad. Yeah. It was a good magazine. Well, you well, know, that was it's, a, it's, a, it's a serially targeted market. <laughs> yeah. Every serial killer's favorite magazine. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's bound to happen. So, yeah, so, you know, so that's Mr. Maudsley, and he's um, trying to get everything uh, better. And if you're interested in having prisoners uh, get more um, activities available to them, you can find his group online and join, and maybe you want to contribute. I'm sure they take money. Oh, that's okay. I was thinking of... <laughs> Having a GoFundMe for true crime authors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you'd like to fund. <laughs> but could you add yeah. a section to that GoFundMe page for your chicken breasts? Yes. Thank yeah. you. Every week, Mark uh, yeah. C.G. Boyer buys me a chicken breast and a Mountain Dew. And, uh, you know, we could, we could use some funding here. If you want to contribute to True Crime Uncensored, you'll notice there is a, a place online at Anchor FM uh, where you can contribute to this show. So far, no one has taken up the challenge. Well, I contribute more than enough. Yes, these chicken breasts and a Mountain Dew. And Did lots we... of ink and paper. Oh. Yeah. Uh, what what brought you to this particular story? Money. Ah. Ah. That'll do it. <laughs> no, this was... I, I say that because... What what this what story is is uh, uh, when the publisher came and they were doing um, twenty books, uh, twenty of these books in a series on British killers and stuff, and asked me if I wanted to be a part of it, and um, I picked four different ones and uh, worked on on them all and sent them in, and over a year ago, and uh, that's how I got onto it. So what's uh, what's the name of this particular tome? book. What's the name of the book? <laughs> this, this, well, this one's just uh, Hannibal the Cannibal, and it's the true story of Richard Maudsley, and it's part of the British crime series. And this is, well, who, who did this one? Who's the publisher on this one? The Parker? This was R.J. Parker. Yeah, he does a lot of these kind of books. I admire him yeah. for taking the risk on those. Yeah. It takes a certain mindset to be a true crime fan. Yeah. And uh, I'm still trying to figure out what that is. Uh, Mostly uh, white-collar females. Ah. Yeah. Which I always find fascinating. So what what happened to the pink-collared females? Uh, Pink-collared females? I don't know. The Peter Pan-collared females? Well, that's a true crime as a female-driven genre. I tried to uh, alter that. Like a pair of pants at a Hong Kong tailor by doing this show on OutlawRadioLive.com, which has got primarily a very male-dominated uh, audience to get uh, men to consider true crime being a fascinating genre for those who are literate enough to read. Now, mostly at Outlaw Radio, our listeners, hell are, that. our listeners are 18 to 25 with a chance of doing 25 to 30. So... <laughs> <laughs> Well, there you have it. Yeah, yeah no, so, uh, and that's probably it for this for me that, that I'll be doing. And uh, and I'm working on a, uh, a big crime book, uh, 
have been for a couple of years, and that should be out next year. And um, the, the next one out will be um, a cult book. Ooh. What uh, what uh, give us? They were a, they were a cool uh, musical group. Yeah, I enjoyed them. Uh, what? Uh, yeah, are we just going to be out sometime this coming year? Actually, yeah, it should be out by spring for sure. Um, Excellent. It's about cult, it, cult it, killers in what UK, America, Australia, or it's kind of yeah. I've taken samples from around the world, and I've uh, also uh, taken uh, the cult perspective and from how people fall in. What they did in the cult after the cult was 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 done. I even have people that continue to follow the cult even after the leader's dead and gone, and and what what they do now. So it kind of uh, and I I kind of have it. In but would you ever leave your kids um, alone in the car by themselves? And different okay. things. It's pretty. It, I think it's really, it turned out to be real really interesting. Got that uh, Jim Jones cult was an <clears throat> interesting one. Like to know who killed him. Yeah. So Someone. that was a, they were a religious cult, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember quite well because I used to listen to his radio show on my way home from my office in Bellevue, Washington. Mm. That's where my office was. Yes, was it inside Bellevue? Actually, it's not Bellevue Hospital. Oh, Bellevue, Washington. You know Bellevue, Washington, Alan. <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah, I was living on Mercer Island. Uh, which is just uh, you know in, in the water there. Bill Gates. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, he's a friend of my brother's, and uh, I, my office was uh, uh, not too awfully far from Crossroads, Bellevue, Bellevue Square. And I'd uh, I'd leave work and I'd come home, and on the way home I would listen to the Jim Jones program, where he would steal material from other people and claim it was his own, which I found fascinating. Because I was familiar with some of the sources. He was saying, here's my sermon for today. And I'm going, I know what the next line is. I just read that in a book by Abdu'l-Bahá. So <laughs> he was stealing yeah. stuff from all over the place. And I decided one day to give him a call. So I called down there to People's Temple in San Francisco. And they said, oh, uh, he's gone off to uh, Guyana. <laughs> Everything will be fine there. Uh, he has a new theory. That is, if he doesn't have to sleep, uh, he can get more done. <laughs> he can also go oh, yeah. nuts. So he was uh, shooting lots of amphetamines to stay up 24-7 so that he could get more done. Because he was under a lot of pressure, you know, responsible for the happiness and well-being of a lot of people. That can yeah. tend to make you paranoid, which, of course, it did. Yeah, yeah, he kind of went, went nutty. But, uh, yeah, I'll be talking about the anthill kill, ant, anthill kids and the... Um, anthill? Yeah, Jim Jones, and I've got um, David Koresh. Oh, you yeah. Know, a lot of the seven-day Adventists that have led to these cults. Um, and they came out of one, basically to... enough. Uh, they came out of the Millerites in the 1800s. Yeah. You probably know Reverend Miller went to Mount Carmel in Pennsylvania uh, to be wafted uh, to heaven when Christ returned. And then the world ended, and it didn't happen. And he was heartbroken. And people tried to cheer him up, saying, "Oh, come on, Reverend, don't be upset. It's not the end of the world. <laughs> it just made it worse." You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know. And then, oh, the one that I, I love from that every day. the spin-off group from the Millerites, one of the many, because you had the Seventh Day Adventists, the Vias, this, that, and the others, were the perfectionists. And the, <laughs> I love this. The perfectionists decided that, well, that uh, now everything had been made perfect 
by the invisible coming of the Lord, and they opened a chain of horror houses across America, which I thought was really brilliant capitalistic thinking uh, within a religious context. So, and they did financially quite well. Give me that some of that old. I bet it's an old time religion. Yeah. Yes, kitten. When in doubt, grab him by the pussy. That's that's right. That's right. That's the veterinarians say. Well, so there we were finding our own business on, on true crime uncensored. <laughs> and somehow we diverted yeah. off no. into the 1800 history of, of millennial expectation cults, mm. of which there were were a plenty at that time. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's that kind of a murder book. Well, that's it. Well, so you got uh, the religious cults, David Koresh, of course. Uh, what about, yeah. uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, oh, God, my mind, mind just went blank. Not David Koresh, the other guy, David Moses. Goes out well, uh, in this book, in this book, no, I, I will be covering uh, Heaven's Gate, uh -huh. you know. Oh, yeah, we all get airlifted <laughs> when we're dead. Yeah, yeah hail bop. Well, how can, I mean, why do people fall for this crap? Because human beings well, need to belong. Well, fine. Well, yeah. Human yeah. beings let them need, join the Elks. No, they need a sense of belonging. They need a sense of participation. But there's lots of things you can participate well, in without being batshit. That's a rational comment. Yes, but they're not rational. They, the requirement, the emotional need, is not rational. Oh. So you have people that are weak, that are looking for anything to give their life meaning. Someone comes along and says, look, here's this. That's why you have so many people in the Church of Scientology. That's why you have uh, people in religion in general, because it gives them a sense of belonging. Mo uh, majority of the time, the religion in and of itself is harmless. Um... And it's that sense. It's when you start taking it to extremes, where things start to go off the rails. That's like when you violate the teaching of the religion by killing people who aren't members of it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, or or you use it as an excuse for anything. Manifest destiny. Comes oh, that's to mind. A, that was a big one in our in our history. Uh, the Crusades. Yeah, manifest destiny always gave you the creeps. Hey, it was it was fabulous marketing. It really was. Really was. I wish Howard yeah. Lapidus was here to explain his theory on how Christmas was developed to build up fourth quarter. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. Well, the, the marketing of it probably. Yeah, yeah. brilliant. You know, brilliant. Well, actually, I used that uh, uh, clever trick one time. We'll close before we get to the end of the program. Uh, when I had a cable television advertising company in uh, Eastern Washington, Yakima, Pendleton, well, West Oregon, Pendleton, but. Uh, when the company wanted to take it over, we said, okay, tell you what, uh, you don't have to give me money, I won't give you money. On April 1st, <laughs> April Fool's Day, I'll unplug and go home, and I'll just keep the accounts receivable, and uh, that's it. Didn't cross their minds, my whole strategy was, I want fourth quarter. <laughs> I want all that fourth quarter money. And I got it. Yay me. Alan Warren. What's the book again? It's called Hannibal the Cannibal. Yeah, got to eat that one up. Thank you very much. Buy it, read it, believe it. Thank you, Alan. We'll have you back again probably a uh, few weeks when another book comes out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, yeah. Magic Man Alan's uh, next. Hey, Burl, what's next? Demons of Decadence.
Lighten up loud. Uh, 